The document is dated July 4th, 1776. The unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with one another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them towards separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Happiness. Can you imagine? We founded this country on the idea of happiness as our right. It doesn't, well, I mean, a little bit later it implies religious freedom, but I mean, think about it. Ahead of religious freedom, uh, ahead of land ownership, you know, many of the reasons that we uh, separated from the United Kingdom in that time certainly did not have to do with happiness, and yet the founders of the United States of America, well, it's even capitalized, which I love. If you, if you look through it, you know how in the old days, before we had things like bold type, they would do uppercase letters to, you know, this is the important one. Well, in this whole preamble, the words that are capitalized are God and God, creator, life, liberty, and happiness. Trouble is, a few hundred years later, I think we're still pursuing it. It was the pursuit of happiness Maybe they should have claimed happiness instead of the pursuit of happiness. Because gosh, when I look around my world, I still see so many people that, well, they don't even really look like they're pursuing it. They kind of look like they're wallowing in the opposite of it sometimes. Tonight I want to talk about this idea of happiness. I want to explore some of the things that actually keep us from expressing greater happiness in our life. And, I, and I'm wondering, especially since, you know, we're in this new thought thing together, this idea of uh, that our thoughts are active, that we have some control over how we feel, like we have some control over our expressions of happiness, still why is it that so often that piece of our lives feels a little elusive? Or, or when we have it, it seems short-lived, and then, and, and then suddenly uh, we find ourselves feeling something quite different. Well, I think that there are actually three primary reasons for us not feeling as happy as we might like. Three primary uh, causes, if you will, that diminish us from really having it all. That idea of having our cake and eating it too. That idea of, of really enjoying life to the most. And I'm, I'm just going to tick them off, the, the three things here, and talk a little bit about why I think they challenge us as they do, and then some of the things we can do to, to work around it, some of the things we can do to, to turn off those obstructions to our happiness. The first one, and you're going to think I'm crazy, 
Because it seems like only a few months ago, we were talking about the law of attraction, and I was saying what a, a wonderful and powerful thing it was. What, wasn't I, Reverend Barb? It just like maybe six months ago, I did a whole talk on the, on the law of attraction and how as we, we change our thinking to, to, to uh, orient it towards more love and more light in the world, that that attracts to us the, the outward signs of it. I don't think I bothered to tell you that the law of attraction has a dark side. Well, tonight, <laughs> tonight you get part two, I guess, of the law of attraction. So the other way that the law of attraction is expressed is that birds of a feather flock together, that like attracts like, right? And so as our, our thoughts are manifested in the world, the evidence of those thoughts in terms of people and situations and stuff that are like those thoughts start circulating around us. And we discover what? We discover that we're in a group of friends that kind of think the same thing, that have similar lifestyles, that have similar incomes, that have similar issues and problems. Do you see where I'm going with this? Suddenly, you're in a world of sameness, and what if the inertia of that doesn't allow you to grow any further? Are you, are, are you, you going where I'm going? It's not that where you are at is bad, but it's kind of the glass ceiling. When you're among a bunch of friends who take it for granted that, well, there are good times and there are bad times, when you are in a circle in a group of people that just assume, well, marriages have fights now and then, you know, just live with it, get over it. When you're in a circle of friends that say, well, life isn't always going to be a bed of roses, you know, there, there will be the famine that goes with the feast, and, you, and you're supporting each other in these ways of thinking, well, it's not surprising then that there also seems that there's that little bit of a glass ceiling. And isn't it a little too uncomfortable in your flock of friends if suddenly you're lifted way up? Then it's like, what's up with Larry there, right? <laughs> Why is he hanging out down at, you know, the really fine restaurant and we're still at Burger King? What's up with that, right? How come Larry has the new car? And Larry starts getting some ribbing about it. And the, the peer pressure is, no, we're birds of a feather and we better flock together. We've already set our standards for how good it can be. We've already set our standards for how nice or not marriages are supposed to be. We have our normative formulations on whether we should like work or not. Because remember, you've got to struggle to get ahead in work. And we all agree on that, right? Here's where that law of attraction, it may get us where we want to go, but it has the tendency to hold us there. Well, of course, the antidote to this is also the law of attraction, because as we begin changing our thinking, we can break free of the flock. As we begin once again setting our sights a little higher, as we once again uh, begin in our own mind developing a, a mental picture of what life should be with, with grander things in it, with more loving things in it, with um, you know more success or whatever it is that really would make you happy when we have that mental formation, of course, eventually it outpictures. 
But do you see the little bit of the uneasiness in there as maybe you have to shake free a little bit of that flock mentality and, and a couple of your friends that you thought were so much like you and so loving and so sweet kind of fade away a little bit because they're a little uncomfortable with that level of happiness or that level of joy. And so it is, I think, that we, we evolve perhaps in, in steps and then a pause and steps and a pause as we adjust our mental thinking for really understanding what, what more I could like or what different I could like or what might make us happy. But I want to suggest that now and then we just have to shake loose from the same old. I was counseling someone last year, uh, in October every year at my church, we have kind of a, a series on abundance and we do a pledge campaign and whatnot. And, uh, and a woman came up to me and she said, you know, it's like I've kind of not had a raise now in like seven years and I'm just really feeling stuck in my finances. I'm feeling stuck in my ability to express myself out in the world with the limited means I have. I'm kind of feeling just stuck in this whole idea of, of abundance. And I said, well, why don't you go for cocktails at the Benson Hotel? And she, she kind of looked at me, and I said, well, you've described your life a little bit, right? You, you hang out with your friends that are like you, and, and if you want to go out a night on the town, you, you kind of go to like a cheap bar for maybe a beer, and then you, you know, maybe you go to a really inexpensive, you know, restaurant, and then you rent a Netflix movie, or, or a Redbox movie, I guess, and it's, it's like the whole evening is kind of, what would I say? Um, yeah, it, it's like it's predictable and it's kind of cheap, frankly. I said to her, if you want to know what luxury is like, you need to have a mental equivalent of it. Instead of going for your beers, head down to the Benson Hotel. Go someplace so you can have a new idea of what luxury is really like. How can you build a mental equivalent in your head of luxury when everything swarming around you is shopping at secondhand stores? And, and I mean, it's nothing that there's wrong with anything like that. But if your issue is you want to experience more of life's gifts from that perspective of abundance and financial freedom, you got to talk to people that know about that. you got to have a, a sense of what it's like. And it doesn't mean you have to go to the Benson and drop $150 when you don't have it. You know, have Perrier. It doesn't really matter. The idea is you get a sense of it. You, you're hanging out in the new flock, if you will. If birds of a feather are going to flock together, then let's hang out for a little bit in a new flock so we can see what the feathers look like, so we can have a sense of soaring in a, in a new way or to a new avenue. Because otherwise... We'll keep having the same thoughts. We'll keep having the same experiences. We'll surround ourselves with people at kind of the same level of happiness and the same level of acceptance, and we won't even have a sense of what we're missing. So my permission to you on this particular area is to do some things that are outrageously different now and then. Things that you don't even know whether you'll like them. Like if you have an idea that maybe you'd like to be athletic again after being sedentary for a while, it's like just sign up for a kayaking class. You know what I mean? Who cares if you can swim? I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm joking a little bit. Let's not get too crazy. 
But if you want to actually shake loose and experience life in a new way with the thought of, of a new level of happiness or hope or abundance, you got to make some steps. You got to try the newness out so you even know what it feels like, so you even know what it looks like. Then when you paint that compelling mental picture in your head of what it's going to be like, the universe rushes in to fulfill it. All right, number two, there's another thing that holds us back in our ability to really be happy, and it has to do with logic, and I have the least funniest joke on the planet to share with you tonight. And in fact, it's so unfunny that there's a cartoon version of it. Rand, could you put up the cartoon version? Because some people won't even believe that I didn't just make this up and that it's stupid. All right. So three logicians walk into a bar. Well, first thing, a logician is someone who loves logic, right? So this is a joke about logic, and so therefore you have permission for it not to be funny at all. So three logicians walk into a bar, and the bartender says, does everyone uh, want a beer? And the first fellow says, I don't know. And the second fellow says, I don't know. And the third one says, yes. <laughs> right? Well, one of you is laughing, but I think it's just because I'm laughing, right? So the re <laughs> okay. So of course you don't get it. You have to be a logician for this to be really funny. But the trick is, we use logic every day. We use logic every day, and we use this logic every day. See, the trick was the bartender says, "Does everyone want beer?" So it's an either or. So the first guy wanted a beer, but he doesn't know whether everyone wants a beer, so he had to say, I don't know. And the second one wanted a beer, right? But he couldn't say yes, because he didn't know whether the third person wanted a beer, so he had to say, I don't know. But the third person knew that the other two wanted a beer, and he wanted a beer, so he could say yes. I know, this is the worst joke ever, I swear <laughs> to God. But the point here is that we do this, and you, you can hide the bad joke now, Rand, that we do this every day of our lives to ourselves, we either or ourselves to death. We come into the world with the, an infinity of possibilities for our lives, and then we're carefully trained to distinguish between this and that, between either and or, between black and white, between good and between bad, and we use that comparison on just about everything in our lives, and it has the tendency to cut our ability to enjoy life in half, because we've either ordered half of what would make us happy right out the door. We say to ourselves, well, either I can be a loving father, or I can earn money for the family, we say to ourselves, well, I can work really hard or I can enjoy myself now and not have retirement later on. We say to ourselves, it's, it's an either-or situation. I can't have my cake and eat it too. We build our life around these decisions as though our happiness were always trade-offs. Well, I can enjoy this, but if I enjoy this then I can't do the other things that I like. Well, I'm here to tell you, that's just crap, friends. <laughs> we actually can have our cake, and we can eat it too. Now, it may not be the same piece of cake, 
right? I mean, there are logistical things in the world, right? Uh, back to my example of being a, a loving father and family man to the highest of my ability and a wonderful career. Now, a lot of people would look at that and say, well, how can you be there for all of your children's events and how can you be a loving family man like, you know, 80 hours a week and be in an amazing career position where you're putting in 80 hours? Well, of course you can't, Right? But that's not what happiness is anyway. That would just drive you crazy, right? (laughs) Happiness says you can have it all. You can have the happy moments of being a, a loving and committed father. You may have to sort it out in terms of what that looks like in terms of form. You may have to make some trade offs, but it isn't giving up one thing for another. It's just the logistics of life. Now, the logistics are always going to be there, but when we say to ourselves, it's an either or, we're really cutting out half of the pleasure of life. So how do we get around this one? Next time you find yourself in a position of looking at, at two wonderful things, like, uh, like last year, for instance, um, we wanted a new car, And we wanted to go on vacation. See, here's the secret. You don't say, right? You don't say, well, we could get the new car or we could go on vacation, right? You say, I want the experience of the new car, the happiness that would bring me, and I want the experience of a great vacation. Now, it may be that the actual form of those things are scaled down a little bit, right? It might be. So maybe the vacation isn't to Europe, right? And maybe the car is being leased instead. Do you see where I'm going with this? But you notice I have not eliminated half of my happiness. I've simply said to myself, I don't know exactly how this, the form it will take. I don't know exactly how this will play out, but I'm claiming the enjoyment of that vacation, the sense of the the freedom that a vacation brings with my family and friends, and I'm claiming sound and safe uh, transportation and and a new set of wheels. Now, we'll figure out later how that happens. And in fact, I like to think that maybe when I claim it, God can figure out the how for me because when I claim it powerfully and feel it in my heart, that's the very nature of what we call science of mind treatment here. It's the words plus the feeling equal what you want to experience. That's how it works. So by painting the, 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 the and rather than the or, I'm going to get the feelings of both. I'm going to get to enjoy my life in both aspects. And God will figure out how to bring it to me Maybe someone will invite me on the vacation to Europe and I won't have to pay a nickel. Maybe, so, right? It's like what? But when I or it, when I say I can only do one, then I'm not even looking. I mean, someone would probably call and say, Larry, I have this extra ticket to Tuscany. Would you come? And I'd be going, oh, I don't know. Right? Because when we've ordered ourselves, we, we already, right, exactly, we already have eliminated Half of our pleasure. Okay, what's the third thing that stands in the way of really coming to our own, really having it all? And I gotta say, it's me. It's actually knowing myself. Because frankly, friends, I don't always know what will bring me happiness. 
Sometimes it's an actual ignorance of, of my own person. I mean, I think that, some, and this particularly happens, I would say, around ideas of thingness. When I think that that new car actually will make me happy, uh, let me own up to the fact that it made me happy for a couple weeks. Do you know what I mean? Right. And so we may think that moving into the new apartment, we may think that the new job, we may think that a variety of things will really bring us happiness. I got to tell you, that's actually me not knowing myself all that well. Because it's actually the experience that brings me happiness and not the thing. And very often I can get that same experience in any number of ways. And so the lesson here is really to know yourself, not assume that making a certain kind of a change on the outside is going to bring you the feelings that you want or the, the sense of success or the, the feelings of love. And what I personally recommend is concentrate on the feelings and the experience then. When you're building your rich mental picture of what happiness is like, start with the feelings what does it feel like to be loved? What's the sense of connection and intimacy with people, right? Um, let's not start concluding that, you know, when the boyfriend or girlfriend comes, that happiness comes. Let's start with the experience. Let's begin feeling in our own heart, even as we're, you know, sleeping singly in our own bed and making a meal for one. Nonetheless, Let's start feeling the connectedness. Let's start doing our prayers and our meditations around a blissful connection with people and that sense of, of uh, belonging and that sense of, of true love and partnership. Because once again, that mental equivalent will bring it to you without you having to effort too much. And it's much more likely to be featured in a way that will bring those feelings rather than you just guessing. Because sometimes, don't we just guess about ourselves? Well, I really think a place down at the beach would make me happy. Well, I, I really think that a job where I can work at home. Well, I really think that X will, uh, will bring more love into my life or, or bring more abundance to our life. You've got to be willing to have some failures in here, too, because we're not experts on ourselves. We're maybe better than anyone else. I mean, don't, don't accept someone else's word for what would make you happy. We do have more clues than the other people in our lives. But be willing to experiment a little bit and be willing, more than anything else, to have the sense of it without the thingness of it. To have the feelings and the heartfelt experience and build your mental equivalent on that because you're going to open up the universe to way more means by which that thought can be fulfilled. I mean, if you're praying for the boyfriend or the girlfriend and what you really want to experience is, uh, is love, what if that could come in the form of one of your grandchildren? What if that could come in the form of a new puppy? What if that could come in the form of a best friend? Once again, when we make assumptions about what would make us happy, sometimes we're excluding a whole range of happiness because we're fixating on one particular thing, one expression of it that may or may not bring what we want. Well, I want to summarize briefly tonight 
we've talked about three things that tend to prevent us from having happiness. One is the idea of the law of attraction, that we're stuck in our flock, the idea that um, the people around us sort of begin dictating what our own beliefs are and our own level of happiness. And for that one, the recipe for success is newness. Break out of the flock. Head out into the world and try some new things. Begin just experimenting with things that might bring you greater happiness or fulfillment or success. And then you can begin raising that little bar and using that same law of attraction to to come into a new flock, to begin uh, having a, a more beautiful set of feathers, if you will. The second thing we talked about is either or. Let's just throw it out. It's both and. It's all and. I can have it all. I can eat my cake and still have a piece. It's possible. And then finally, the idea of just knowing ourselves better. Be willing to really investigate. Is that really what's going to make me happy? Is that idea that that promotion at work, is that really going to make me happy? Or is it just going to give me a different title and I'll still be pissed off at work? (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I see that happen all the time. All right, I'm going to close with a a quote from Ernest Holmes, the founder of Science of Mind, uh, on this whole idea of something more and, of course, uh, uh, a closing prayer. This is from his work, Love and Law. He says, to become happy, to become alive, and to build the greatest lives, we must become something more, something worthwhile. There is not a day in my life that goes by that I do not take the time to unify myself in my consciousness with big things, to think that I am one with all activities on the planet, all industries, all commerce, all life, all love, and just feel that thought reaching out and encompassing the largest fields of activity in the world. Then, then you are one with the infinite stars in the heavens. That is to really see things. It is in that mental attitude that we decide that we are to become all. If you could feel your mental concept of life touch the universal, you would only have to speak the word and it would come to you in a ceaseless stream. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one infinity of all good. There is that one life, that one thing that I call God and what I know about it. Oh my gosh, God is happiness. God is the liberty and freedom that our founding, uh, founding fathers of this nation promised to us. And as God is life, as God is freedom, as God is happiness, I know that means me. I know that I'm right in the middle of it, that my heart opens to receive the, the riches and the infinity of life, not constrained by the people around me, not constrained by my own ignorance, not not constrained by anything. My mind open to claim it all, to have my cake and eat it too. And as it is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room and beyond that each of us has that capability of, of shaking off the sameness of life and claiming true happiness, that each of us can have it all that each of us 
through co-creation with God, using that law of attraction, builds a life that is loving, that is rich, that is happy, that is free, that is joyous. And for this, friends, I'm so very grateful. I'm grateful to be here in the power and the presence of God, showing up in the hearts and the hands in this mind. Grateful for life, grateful for love. I just let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for being here tonight.